0: Good
1: afternoon, Seven Vesters. Uh, it has been an interesting day, but welcome to the Wednesday edition of Seven Investing Now. My name is Daniel Brooks Klein, but you can call me Dan. I'm joined today by Austin Lieberman and Simon Erickson. Austin, Simon, I assume like me, you were up all night debating the baseball gold gloves. That that being the big story of the day. <laughs> no, guys, how you doing, Austin? How are you?
2: I'm good. I am tired. I was playing Among Us. You know, way too late and and doing some other stuff. And I was casually watching the uh, Gold Glove Awards as well.
1: <laughs> Guys, we are going to start. Simon, I'll, I'll ask you about your evening in a second. We are going to start by talking about the election. I think that's the elephant in the room. It's not going to be a big part of the show. We're actually going to talk more Chinese politics than U.S. politics. But Simon, how is your evening? It was good, Dan. There's a lot of news going on
3: out there. To be honest, man, I'm looking forward to the eventual vacation that you, Austin, myself, and everyone else gets to go up to Steve's place in Montana, have a couple drinks and talk about stocks
1: in his backyard. I'm not going anywhere near Steve's place until April <laughs> at the earliest. So this is 7investing now. We're going to cover the news of the day, but with a long-term perspective. We're an interactive program. That means you can hit us on the live show you, you know, by, by adding comments, by adding chat. You can also reach out to us on Twitter, at 7investing. Generally do that before the show, after the show for comment. We'd love to chat with all of you. Uh, so we're going to start with our top story. But before that, we're going to get to the election. Simon, we don't know who the president is. That is a little bit difficult, but what does it mean for the stock market? Is it something we should be concerned about? It means the stock market
3: is whipsawing all over the place, Dan. We've seen (laughs) days where the stock market is is shooting up like it is today and others where it's completely selling off on a day-to-day basis. It means that there's a lot of speculation and shares are trading hands uh, based on a lot of kind of short-term focused uh, trading going on. But at the end of the day, you know as well as I know that if you're a long-term investor, uh, these day-to-day speculations is not what you want to focus on. Of course, the stock market performance is based upon business performance, and smart businesses are going to adapt to whoever it is that's in political office. So I say we stay the course, even though in the short term, it's going to be a little bit of choppy waters here.
1: Yeah, I actually think the market is behaving pretty well. And my reason for that, and I'll throw it to you in a second, Austin, is I believe that the market believes that there will be a winner, that while there might be some contested votes and other things, it does look like we're going to get clear results. Maybe not till Friday, but we are going to get clear results. Austin, does who ultimately claims the White House change anything about how you invest?
2: It really doesn't, Dan. I mean, like we talked about, we've seen some volatility over the short term. That's kind of just normal in how the market Works, Um, but over history we're talking hundred plus years. We've seen the market do pretty well over time uh, under both Republican and Democrat administrations. And the thing is, uh, we talk a lot about individual stocks, right? So um, we we talk about the market, but I'm not invested in the whole market. I don't I don't invest in a single index fund. They. I just love investing in individual companies. I think we can do better than index funds by doing that. And so what I try to do is just invest in the best companies with the best management and the best products that are in important and growing industries. And just real quick, uh, so those tend to do well over three plus years. So I've got three companies here, just companies that a lot of people know about. Sherwin-Williams, Boston Beer Company, and uh, Activision Blizzard. Since I think this is from about 1999 until now, if you would have put $10,000 into those three companies and held them through all the presidential elections and the great financial crisis and COVID so far, that $30,000 is worth more than a million dollars. So find great companies. They're going to do well no matter who's president and, and no matter what happens really over the long term.
1: Find good companies, find good management, and tune out short-term noise. One of the challenges for us is because of what we do for a living, we have a scorecard, we have to look at our performance, and of course, we're making picks based on this is going to get to where we want it to go in three to five years, maybe even longer than that. And we're looking at uh, on a daily basis. I know that my stock pick uh, last month, and it's not one we can we can talk about on the air, we don't talk about our current picks, it went down 10% the day before we locked in because of a really dumb analyst call, in my opinion, for basically an analyst who said, yeah, they're going to have tough comps next year. A lot of companies are going to have tough comps next year. We're, we're smart enough to factor that out when we look at stocks. But of course, when it went up, it. Ca- recaptured most of that gain the next day. And wow, I look like a genius. Well, that's not why I'm a genius on that stock. And maybe I'm not a genius at all. What happened on that is basically there were some negative news, that negative news got digested. And now all of a sudden, it doesn't matter that much. But my thesis is going to take months and years to play out. But guys, let's move from US politics to Chinese politics. Uh, the Ant Group IPA, was basically halted out of nowhere. Simon, you want to weigh in on what happened here?
3: Well, I will talk about the IPO, Dan. You said IPA, so I assume you're talking about a beer that I haven't heard of, but that sounds delicious. <laughs> oh, so the Ant Group one.
1: IPA is excellent. That <laughs> is India not Pale Ale.
3: That's right. Uh, this is Jack Ma butting heads with the Chinese government. And this is a huge deal because this was supposed to raise $34 billion with a B in its IPO there, uh, making it the largest IPO of all time. And at the last minute of the 11th hour, Chinese regulators said, you know what, we're going to pull this down because as they quoted, uh, we are concerned that the company might not meet the listing conditions or disclosure requirements. And this comes, of course, one week after Jack Ma, the co-founder of Alibaba and Alipay, uh, which is part of Ant Group Financial, says that he was worried about the Chinese government stifling innovation. So there's a little bit of back and forth um, that's holding up this really highly anticipated
1: IPO. Simon, how much of this is – so let me read exactly what Ma said. He said, what we need is to build a healthy financial system, not systematic financial risks. To innovate without risk is to kill innovation. There's no innovation without, without risks in this world. Basically, he called out the Chinese government. Is this just them showing him who's boss?
3: This is bigger than that because Ant Financial has threatened China for a long time. And Jack Ma, just to to give a little bit of the backstory of what's going on here, uh, he really wanted 20 years ago to provide a way for small businesses in China to set up shop to take out loans uh, that they were not getting from China's state-owned banks because they weren't checking the boxes and provide them with capital. And then on top of that, to get them up and running, he also wanted to provide the e-commerce platform that became Alibaba Group so they could sell those things that they were creating online. So now they've got money to make factories and sell things and they've got the e-commerce platform to do that. But the risk, of course, for China is now that Ant Group was giving these loans to these small businesses that they were not getting from those state-run Chinese enterprises. And that's that's kind of threatened uh, their regulations. They're harder to regulate individual banks than it is for the state-owned ones. There's capital requirements and sorts of other things like this that they want to keep their control over. And so this isn't so much, in my opinion, at least, just a story of, oh, China said you can't do something that... you know, we told you to do. This is more of they want to flex their muscle and say, hey, Jack, if you want to bring Ant Group public, it's still got to be under our terms.
1: What do you think ultimately happens? And then we'll uh, throw it to Austin to talk about investing in China in general. But do you think this is just a a temporary stop? I mean, Ant Group already exists. Being public or not being public doesn't actually change much.
3: Yes, an Alibaba publicly traded company too. I think that this does eventually go public. There are going to be some negotiations that are going to be very frustrating for Jack Ma. Of course, he has a lot to to make out of this too. He's a, you know what is it, 10, 11% ownership stake in in Ant Financial. So there's billions of dollars on the table for him to bring this public, but it's going to be uh, with terms and conditions, Dan. There's no doubt about it that Ant's just not going to be able to innovate like a company like PayPal has been able to do, do here in the
1: United States lot to follow. Austin, you're generally wary about investing in uh, in Chinese-run companies. What are your thoughts there?
2: Yeah. And if it looks like I was distracted, it's because I was. I was out there sharing on Facebook and Twitter and LinkedIn. So uh, all of you are watching this live. Make sure you follow us on all those channels, um, subscribe to our YouTube channel, all that stuff. But yeah, what you're talking about is exactly why I'm very cautious about investing in, in Chinese companies. And, and um, I'm open-minded and I will invest in Chinese companies. But if I do it, it's going to be with a small part of my portfolio because there's just so much that I don't know, so much that we can't control. And there's a lot of things I just don't understand about the culture and the way business is done. And so investing is is hard enough. I love it. I love studying great businesses. I think I could find great businesses in the United States. And oh, by the way, we still have international exposure because almost every company these days is global and is impacted by the global economy. So we we still have global exposure with a lot of U.S. companies.
1: Yeah, I mean, I own shares of Starbucks. If you own shares of Starbucks, their number two market is China. Um, I own shares of, of Walt Disney. Their it's not their most important market, but it is a relevant market when it comes to the traditional movie business. This program, Seven Investing Now, it's brought to you by the team at Seven Investing. Simon. If people sign up and subscribe to us how much do they have to pay it's hundreds of dollars right it's millions of dollars no it's no, not simon not, what do people pay and what do they get not
3: hundreds not millions dan actually 17 dollars a month or 170 dollars a year gives you our very best ideas in the stock market every single month uh, to backtrack a little bit to give some background on why we started seven investing it was kind of under the premise of two things uh one that investing is hard and the other is that investing is personal and so what we wanted to do was do a lot of the legwork Follow what's going on in the markets, do the financial statement analysis, bring all that research into our recommendation reports, which we publish our seven best ideas every single month, but then kind of hand it off to individuals to make the decisions about what types of companies are best for them. Austin just mentioned investing in China is a high risk endeavor. You know That might be a lot riskier than something like Starbucks, like you mentioned, Dan. And so we're trying to find companies that are not only going to beat the market that are best ideas every month, but for $17 a month, um, basically give you options of whether you want to invest in different styles and different risk levels.
1: Yeah, basically, we put the time in so you don't have to. We live this stuff. If you could see our Slack channel, it's a mix of us teasing each other because we're all friends. But it's also like debating like this. Like this show is actually sort of our lives and how how we do things. Like we spend hours and hours talking about investing in China and sort of ancillary plays and how we're going to do it. and My style versus Simon style versus Austin versus Max versus Matt. We have a lot of fun and we hope you join us. We also hope you share comments in the chat. we see a few. Some of them are election-related. Ele- investment talks as cannabis is pumping. Yeah, be careful. Uh, one more state uh, decriminalized or, or legalized marijuana. It's going to be a very slow fight there. That There's not going to be a quick answer in the marijuana space. Uh, and yeah, uh, Andrew, it means it's not decided yet. Still counting votes. <laughs> We're not great at counting. Uh, we, as a country, counting is not our strongest thing Guys, it is time for what we're watching. That's the segment where, where you pick. I, I don't pick. I don't tell you what we're going to talk about. And Simon, you're going to kick this off. And you wrote this down. Moore's law is dead because AI killed it. Simon, why don't you explain <laughs> what Moore's law is?
3: It's right. So uh, starting with, with Moore's law, Moore's law is basically the uh, phenomenon that we've seen that the transistor dis- density in chips is, is doubling every 18 months to two years, right? Transistors are getting uh, smaller and chips are getting faster and more powerful very, very quickly. And so this has allowed for the Intels of the world and the CPUs of the world to kind of make these incredible strides that they've made in computing and has allowed so many things to happen, right? Going from mainstreams, mainframes to personal computers to um, you know cloud computing. Now, all these things that we've done have been amazing, but we're kind of reaching the, the limits of what traditional CPUs can do, and so that's what we're what we're kind of referred to as Moore's law is dead. Is like these things can only get so small. We're already talking ten nanometers in size for the MOSFET gates in these transistors. I mean, this is very very tiny. It's like smaller than what your fingernail is growing in five seconds. Dan, these are mic- below microscopic in size, and so companies like Intel we've seen have had a difficult time in their manufacturing process for traditional architectures of processors. And a lot of the reason that, that we're saying that this is happening is because artificial intelligence has just become so demanding in the processing capabilities that it requires um, that we're having to have to find new semiconductor chips to, to maintain those demands that they're, that they're coming after.
1: So, Simon, what's next for this? Do we just pack more chips in? Do we have to do things different ways? Does more go to the cloud? This is, this is an interesting and challenging space.
3: It is. This is why this is what I'm looking at right now, Dan. You know, this segment is kind of always long-term focus for Seven Investing. There's some huge impacts that will come from everything that we look at. We tend to think of it in longer term. But for me, um, this is the the need is here for for machine learning inference. We've been spending a lot of time doing machine learning training where we say, okay, this is a picture of a nose. This is a picture of a nose. We've trained neural networks to figure out what pictures and videos look like. We've trained autonomous vehicles to see what a stop sign looks like. And there's getting more data on what a deer running out in front of your car looks like. And of course, Alexa has trained its inferencia chips to recognize what it is we're talking about and the context of what we're saying when we're asking things to, to the echo that's in our living room. By the way, I apologize if that just set off anybody's Alexa.
0: <laughs> oh, you did ah, it again. You know, again that,
3: that person that, that Amazon is putting in our living room. But so so much of this has been training. That's been great. Now we're moving to the next step where we're actually doing inference damage, which is even more interesting and even more computationally involved. So the examples of this, like NVIDIA, is now using GPUs for inference to create our facial shapes off of what it thinks that a nose looks like in previous pictures of Simon Erickson. Now it's recreating my face for video calls to save on the bandwidth that's required. There's lower video output because of something that it's actually doing itself. Artificial, uh, intel- or, uh autonomous vehicles are now using artificial intelligence to actually take action when it sees all of those things out there. This is incredibly computationally challenging. And we're already seeing that Moore's law is slowing down. It's becoming challenging for 10 nanometers or lower chips, uh, transistors on the chips, rather. So we're going to have to adopt new things. GPUs are one of them. We just saw some acquisitions earlier this year in different types of architectures, like FPGAs. Um, I guess, long story short, there's a lot going on in the semiconductor industry right now. And as a long-term investor, I'm very interested in all those changes taking
1: place. So so this is a long road. And Simon, we'll talk about the interview you're doing tomorrow as the last piece. But the reason I say this is a long road is imagine that you're your robot vacuum was an autonomous car. They keep telling me that my robot vacuum is getting smarter and it keeps getting stuck under my dresser. That's fine for a vacuum, it's not great for a car. So there is a long way to go. But Simon, you're interviewing Paul Teich tomorrow. Is this related? Paul Teich, yeah. Paul is, uh, in my opinion, one of the smartest guys
3: in the semiconductor industry. And i Chatted with him for a couple of years now. Really thrilled every time he's on our 7 Investing podcast. We'll be publishing that tomorrow morning, um, Dan. But this is a guy that's got 40 years of experience, You know, 12 patents to his name. And we basically just nerded out about talking about the semiconductor industry um, for about an hour yesterday. And I'm really excited to publish this interview.
1: I'm always happy when we have someone older than me on the podcast. Uh, Austin, (laughs) you just wrote streaming TV extravaganza with three exclamation points did you did you just like stay up all night watching uh, fuller house like what is going on what did you want to talk about here
2: I was just binge watching um, no Dan there's there's more streaming TV in the news right we've heard about the it feels like decade-long shift from cable TV to over-the-top TV or streaming TV that's through um, your Amazon fire sticks your Roku players your Google Chromecasts or cloud platform, whatever whatever the Google one is called. Um, and just, I think it was yesterday, we saw news that Comcast and Walmart have had exploratory talks about producing a smart TV. So why do I care about this? There's this little company called Roku that I'm a big fan of. I'm a personal shareholder. And Roku shares dropped four or 5% when this news first came out. And this just gets back to talking about our, our seven principles, Right we invest in companies, we look for one-of-a-kind companies, and we invest for the long term. Well, this is really inconsequential. They're just in pl- preliminary talks. Roku is the leading streaming platform. With I've got a chart here. In the first quarter of 2019, they had 36% of the market share. And the next closest was the Amazon Fire TV at 28%. So Roku is far and away the leader in in the category. And it's just it's just kind of amusing when news like this, that's not even news comes out and people react to it. So what am I doing as a shareholder? I'm just going to continue to monitor Roku reports earnings. I think they report uh, tomorrow. And we're going to listen to management and we're going to see how the, the quarter goes. And if management gets, a- I'm sure they're going to get asked about it. But um, what this does show to me is that Comcast, a, a company who has had a long-standing cable business, is is basically trying to find out how they can sustain their business over the long term, and they have realized that, and we all know this that streaming TV is the way to go, and so they're eventually if 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 they go this route, they're going to have to basically cannibalize the the rest of their cable business and give in to over the top and streaming, and so yeah, what that uh, means uh, Austin,
1: for Austin, uh, let me jump in here because the Comcast. Walmart part of this is the nothing angle. The, the bigger piece of this is kind of the future of television. And this is Comcast making noise so it can make a better deal with Roku. Because Roku is the Sweden of this. They're agnostic. But why don't we pivot a little bit to talk about their business isn't what people think it is. Hardware is important, but it's, it's an advertising business as much as anything else. And they're doing that incredibly well
2: yeah yeah Dan. uh sorry, I got excited and carried away there. Thanks for bringing me back on track
0: um so just to <laughs> I, share I some want the numbers, show
1: to go two or three hours so. just I thought we were here
2: for the next twelve hours um <laughs> just to share some numbers, Roku is not a hardware device company. that's just how they deliver all this great content and so, in two thousand and sixteen, Roku on their platform brought in fifty seven million dollars in ad revenue that was two thousand sixteen in 2020, they're estimated to bring in $701 million in advertising revenue. So that's more than a 10x in in just four years of advertising revenue. And so that's where the money's going. Roku's in a great position.
1: Guys, I'm a big fan of Roku as well. We're going to play a little true or false next. Uh, but uh, Caleb Lyons says, I joined late, but glad to be catching this part on Comcast Noise. Comcast is one of the strangest companies in the world. They own Universal Studios, one of my favorite places on Earth, where the customer service is excellent. And they own Comcast, where the customer service is the worst it could <laughs> possibly be. We have some exciting things coming up on the rest of the show. First, we're going to play true or false. Then we're going to hit our finisher. After the finisher, I did an interview on where you need to be in terms of your personal finances before you start investing in stocks. So after we sort of sign off, we're going to play that interview. It's a test. We've never done this before. Uh, We're not sure how we're going to integrate that type of interview going forward, but we do want to see if it works. So it's very possible we finish the show, say goodbye, the interview plays, then the title card comes up at the end. It's very possible everything blows up. So first, we're going to play true or false. Here's what happens. I'm going to throw out four statements and you're each going to tell me if the statement is true or false. Statement number one, Uber and Lyft will merge in 2021. Austin, I'll let you go first here.
2: False. One of them's going to go out of business in the next five years.
1: <laughs> Simon, your thoughts here. I say false. The
3: entire industry needs a duopoly so the pricing doesn't get out of control. Plus, it's a culture clash.
1: uh, Yeah, I think they're both going to go out of business. I don't think these are sustainable businesses. Their pricing is too low. Statement number two, there will be a trillion dollar company in 2025 that's not public now. Your thoughts, Simon Erickson?
3: Uh, That's not public now. No, I would say false because I I think that's going to be very uh, trillion dollars means you have to topple the giants. I I think that they get acquired if something even gets close to that.
1: I'd say false. Austin, your thoughts here. Going with
2: false. I think the next trillion dollar company is going to be NVIDIA.
1: That is not a bad bet. Guys, what about Ant Group? We don't think they can get there?
2: Uh,
3: gosh, I, I guess that, uh, that that might be a good one, Dan. Uh, if they can actually go public, uh, maybe they they still count as private right now because they still aren't going to do that IPO or the IPA.
1: Statement number three. Oh, I could use an IP. I'm drinking (laughs) seltzer, but it's the soft kind. I'll uh, I'll even hold up the can to prove it. I am going with the uh, Costco brand seltzer because that's what the office has for free. Statement number three. The United States will create a new worker classification that's somewhere between employee and gig worker by 2025. Austin, your thoughts here? Uh,
2: True. I think that already exists. Uh, Maybe not, but in my mind, that already exists.
1: No, it doesn't, as someone who's been stuck in that void. It's, uh, it's a little bit difficult. Simon, your thoughts here.
3: Yeah, I think true also. I think the Department of Labor um, wants to shift people from contractor to employee where possible so they can have medical leave and uh, pay taxes and all the other things that come from that. But there's also kind of this middle ground that, that we've seen with with Uber and Lyft in California. So I, I think that, that, yes, they do recognize some kind of third class so somewhere in the middle. True.
1: Yeah, I would argue that government is going to create – this might be on a state level. This may not happen nationally at first. They're going to create a way to, based on how many hours you work, to pay into things like retirement programs and health care and sort of like with Starbucks or, or many of the agencies that are that are contractor-based agencies. When I worked for Microsoft, I was a contractor, uh, but I got paid time off. I got health insurance. Those were my choices. Uh, I had to choose to pay into those, but you still had those options. I think that's what's going to happen at a national level, but I'm being overly optimistic. Number four, very few Chinese companies will trade on U.S. exchanges by the end of 2022. Austin, I'll let you take this one first.
2: I think false. We're, if it happens, it's going to take a little bit longer than that. And chances are some of the things we're hearing are, are more noise than signal uh, over the short term.
1: Simon, your thoughts here. Uh, I agree. I agree. False. So, Austin, I think that's four for four. We were aligned on all of the answers. <laughs> this means maybe I didn't do as good a job picking the questions. As I mentioned, I'm just,
2: I'm just trying to get a raise. I'm trying to agree with Simon. A, <laughs> well you know, played. Just and just doing we had no idea. Uh,
1: sure, I'd Simon, like go ahead.
3: Protest the, the agnostic of, of Sweden mentioned earlier in the program, too, as someone with Swedish heritage. I think you were meaning Switzerland. They were agnostic. When we we're talking about Comcast. I, 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 I what, did, actually. OK, wanted to declare I, I was I was a bit concerned that the Swedes that my heritage was becoming more agnostic. So I wanted to follow up to confirm.
1: So, we're going to hit our finisher, and then after my finisher, we're going to have my interview with Leslie Tain. She's a lawyer. She's a personal finance expert. She talked about the financial steps you have to take to get your house in order. Yeah, apologies. I've been mostly focused on the U.S. today. Like I've really been (laughs) dialed in on that, uh, and then uh, a little bit on China. But Sam Bailey, if you want to share the graphics, and guys, Sam Bailey is our producer. She's also our marketing director. She is uh, sitting behind the glass. There's no actual glass which company will double its share price first? Uh, We asked this on Twitter. Hundreds of you answered. 21.6% of you said Amazon. 15.1% of you said Microsoft. 49% said Tesla. 14.3% said Google. If I asked that question a different way and I said which of those companies would see their price cut in half, I'm guessing Tesla would win as well. Simon, your thoughts on this?
3: Uh, well, I actually we wanted Austin to answer first so that I could agree with him and we'd go five for five on the question. <laughs> Austin, uh, take I, it away. I, go ahead, Austin.
2: I, I don't think it's surprising, right? I mean, Tesla a super polarizing company and I think it's the smallest by market cap of, of those companies. But I'm surprised Bitcoin wasn't in there or, or somehow the Bitcoin fans didn't manage to squeeze that in there somehow because uh, that would have been an interesting vote too.
1: Please send us your ideas for things you'd like us to ask about on Twitter, things you'd like us to talk about on the show. If you want to reach us, you can reach us at info at 7investing.com, or you can hit us up at 7investing. That's at the number 7investing on Twitter. We are very responsive. We we get back to you. We like to have a dialogue. And, of course, if you're a member, you get all sorts of opportunities to uh, to have members-only calls, to reach out to us, to ask us questions. So I'm going to close the episode and say goodbye, guys. But remember that after I say goodbye, we're going to air my interview with Leslie Tain, a New York-based attorney, personal finance expert. She's talking about financial steps you should take in order to get your house in order so you can start investing. Simon, Austin, I hope you stick around to watch the interview. Guys, thanks for doing the show. Thanks, Dan.
2: Yeah, thanks, Dan. Thanks, everybody.
1: Sam Bailey, hit play. Let's see how this goes. At Seven Investing, we're, of course, big proponents of investing in the stock market, but you need to have your financial house in order before you do that. Joining me today to discuss that very topic is Leslie H. Tain, an award-winning financial attorney and author of Life in Debt. She's the founder and managing director of Tain Law Group, a law firm headquartered in New York dedicated to debt solutions. Leslie, welcome to Seven Investing Now.
0: And thank you for having me today.
1: So let me ask, you're in New York. How long have you been working from home?
0: Um, so to be honest with you, I have not been working from home. I have been in my office, um, the entire time.
1: (laughs) Uh, Me me too. I am in a studio, uh, so there are a lot less people here. Is it strange walking around sort of a New York city as it is now? I I went to Hofstra, so I spent a lot of time in New York. Does it feel strange to be in the city?
0: So what's strange is or what has been strange is up until now the lack of traffic and the lack of uh, pedestrian traffic. So even in the office building things were super quiet and uh, the, the parking lot was empty and there was just less people. Now there's start starting to be a lot more foot traffic.
1: I hope so. So let's get to uh, getting your financial house in order. We see a lot of people online that are, you know, they're buying stocks, they're day trading, they're not investing correctly. And then you see them say things like, well, I can only afford this much because I have these payments and that payments. What are some of the basic things people need to do financially before they even consider buying shares of individual stocks?
0: So the first thing you really need to do is have a plan and understand what your investing plan is going to be. Take a look at your budget and see what your risk tolerance is because as we all know, it's, it's not a guarantee that you're going to make money. So you have to be prepared if you might lose money.
1: Yeah, it's one of those situations where, look, if you join us at Seven Investing, we 100% believe you're going to make money, but you have to have risk tolerance in the short term. When you buy a stock to hold it for three to five years, um, it might take three to five years, and that can be the problem. Now, what about other form of debts? Like, you could have a mortgage and invest in stocks, but you probably shouldn't have, say, credit card debt and invest in stocks.
0: So, yes, you absolutely can have other debts while you're investing. You can have mortgage debt, car debt. You could even have some credit card debt. But if your credit card debt is overwhelming you or it's eating away at the majority of your budget and you don't have a lot of cash flow or you're actually using your credit cards to supplement for cash, then investing before paying that down is not advisable.
1: And it's important to remember that the average return on the stock market is 9%. Chances are your credit card debt is more than that. So it's, it's kind of a guaranteed payout. So one of the things we talk a lot about is an emergency fund. And you can debate whether an emergency fund is four months, six months, 12 months, depends where you are. But generally, what is an emergency fund? Where do you put it? Kind of what do you do with it?
0: So an, an emergency fund is also a partial investing tool or product. It's the type of product that you're going to use for yourself in case of an emergency. So it has to be accessible. You have to be able to get to it in an emergency. So unlike a stock where you'd have to sell it or transfer it, the emergency fund is basically cash on hand. So the idea is to set that up in case there's an unforeseen circumstance where you have either a drop of income, a loss, of Complete total loss of income, or something comes up where you need money. And ideally, you want to put that into a savings account that at least earns some return on that investment. And you want to be able to get to it in the case of an emergency. Ideally, you want to make sure that you have six to nine months of cash, living expenses in that emergency fund.
1: Yeah, think of it as a peace of mind fund. And it's important to remember that no matter how conservative a stock is, Stocks can be volatile. Really good companies have had 50% drops. Don't have your emergency fund in the stock market. It should be Very, a checking account, a savings account. Uh, There are lots of websites like Bankrate out there that will tell you where the best place is. Uh, My old friends at The Ascent will tell you the best place to put your money uh, into a bank account to make a little tiny bit, but that's not really the point. The point is you lose your job or you have an unforeseen medical expense, you're in a good position. So Leslie, as an attorney, or really just being in the financial space, what are some of the biggest financial mistakes you see people making?
0: so some of the biggest financial mistakes i see people making is going off on a tip without doing any investigation (laughs) into that tip and not really understanding or educating themselves on that tip and they either end up with a fraud or a scam or they end up losing their investment because they didn't understand what they were doing And that's probably one of the biggest mistakes that I see financially is not really also being aware of your ability to invest. So sometimes people will invest money more so than they're able to afford to take either a loss or to have those funds tied up where they can't access those funds. So not being prepared, investing is also a really big mistake that I see.
1: We see a lot of people chasing short-term gains. You know, They buy the stock of the moment. They might not know what it does, they just know it's a hot name. That's a right. terrible, terrible idea. Now at 7investing, we tell you in our stock picks sort of what the risk is. So my pick this month is very, very low risk. Whereas some of my colleagues in like biomedical, their picks are really, really risky. Your winners will generally outpace your losers, but you don't want a portfolio if you're say 50 of all risky stocks. I'm 47 years old. My portfolio is pretty, pretty conservative. Leslie, as we close up here, any last financial advice for the seven investing family out there watching the show?
0: So I do, I do have a couple of tips. One is always be aware of your risk tolerance, what you're comfortable doing, really understand what your budget is and your finances are and be sure to pay down high interest debts before investing.
1: Leslie Tain, uh, let's go Rangers. Thank you for doing this.
0: You're very welcome.